0: Sorrow turn to joy. Big idea of Scripture, big idea of the text today. Today we're going to finish the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples. When we got to chapter 13, you remember, Jesus is with the disciples on the night before he's crucified. Walked through a lot of ideas. We got 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all at one meal, all those chapters because he's pouring out on them the things he wants them to understand and know as he now launches them into the world. We started in chapter 13, you remember, with he washes the disciples' feet, then Judas takes off, we got that, and then he gives this command, a new command. We're not going to miss this, folks, because it feels like to me there's a lot of folks that are missing this that go to church. Love one another as I've loved you. As Jesus has loved us, that's how we're to love one another. And this is how people are going to know that he is Lord. You get to John 14, and they're worried because they're starting to figure out he's talking about leaving. And he says, do not be worried. Again, trust in me, trust in God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. This is the one way to a healthy relationship with God. Don't miss it he goes on and he starts to talk about the holy spirit coming in, in into their lives in a different way after he ascends into heaven then we get to John 15 abide <laughs> if you were here that's funny abide <laughs> in Jesus not abiding in Jesus but abide in Jesus he's the vine and we are the branches where he lays out this idea experience Jesus love Keep experiencing it and then express that love and keep expressing it. If you do that, you're going to bear fruit. There will be lives changed and you will be filled with this fullness of joy. How good is this? This is our life. Then we got the end of 15, the beginning of 16. <sighs> world's going to hate us. This ain't going to be easy. But the Holy Spirit is going to empower us. And through us, the Holy Spirit is going to help people get the foundation for their coming to faith, many of them. We're going to help them be convicted that they're actually sinners when they don't think they are. They got a wrong view of righteousness. We're going to help convict them of that. Their judgment stinks, and we're going to help them see that their judgment stinks. That's essential to coming to faith. In Christ, And we get to help people get that. Some of them are going to go, Oh, I am so grateful you shared this truth with me. Others are just going to keep hating us. Now we're getting to the last words that Jesus is going to say at this dinner. Next week we'll deal with chapter 17. Jesus then prays at the very end of this meal. For his disciples, for us, for the world. But we're going to look at the last words of Jesus as he finishes this. Hey, you guys online, nice to see you. But You probably can't see me right now, but... (laughs) Here's the big idea of this morning's text in the last words. I didn't grow up with this view of Christianity. But Jesus is going to finish this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be nasty out there. But don't you ever miss this. Here's what Jesus came to do. Turn our sorrow into joy. Lord, be with us. Oh, Father, help us to experience the foundation of your love more thoroughly. Most of these ideas we've heard, these texts, most of us have read them already. Oh, Father, you are eternal, infinitely loving God. And we're in this journey that can so often be challenging. Pray that the truth of who you are and what you've done would be more powerfully experienced by us and then more fully expressed by us at home, at work, in the neighborhood as we fellowship with one another, Father. May your love guide us fill us, and flow from us. That's our prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So the world is a broken, hurting, angry, and opposed to God's path to happiness. No surprise. Yes, Jesus, as he finishes these last talk, these last words with these guys, the disciples at dinner, wants to make it perfectly clear that he and he Alone brings happiness, delight, pleasure, joy to be experienced now and forever. Jesus turns sorrow into joy. That's what he does. And we're going back to the text. It's the night before he's crucified, and he's talking about the disciples' sorrow and it turning into the disciples' joy. Their, their sorrow is going to be rooted in his crucifixion. They still don't get what's happening, even though he's told them. But then three days later, after their sorrow, they're going to be really stinking happy. <laughs> it's going to change their worldview. A little while, and you will see me no longer. It's going to the cross. And again, a little while you will see me after I rise from the dead. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, what in the world is he talking about? This makes not much sense. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, in a little while you will see me? They are confused. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament when I'm crucified. But the world will rejoice. The world's actually going to be happy that I'm killed. Satan's going to be thrilled. They don't get. It is ultimately their undoing. Now, a woman, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. We have four kids. Our youngest is adopted. So I've been at three births. If it were up to me to have children, we would be childless. Oh, man. I still remember particularly the first time. And I felt guilty. I realized I had a part in this. And those of you who, who, who are married and if you're going to give birth here sometime, I told my daughters, here's the time to ask for whatever you want from your husband when you're in the middle of labor. Because here's what I promise you, he will give it to you. Because you are feeling guilty, you're watching this woman you love in all this pain. That's what he's talking about here. He's speaking metaphorically, obviously. She has sorrow because her hour has come to deliver. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. He doesn't mean not at all. I'm married to a woman. She hadn't completely forgotten. But I do know when they laid our oldest into her arms, everything changed. For joy that a human being has been born into the world, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. You haven't quite figured this out. You're hurting. you're confused. You're really going to be sad here in about less than 24 hours. But your hearts will rejoice when I rise from the dead. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So I'm convinced the disciples are in the sorrow when they watch Jesus crucified, and they are delighted at the resurrection. After that, they work through this truth. He died because of us. They're finally putting this together. They had this wrong idea what the king was going to look like. But then they figured it out. The king is going to come and die, and he's going to die because he needs to take care of our stuff. Our junk, our sin. Oh, how he loves us. And that's our journey. It's what we were talking about last week, that those of us who follow Christ, we have to help people understand that they're messed up. They don't love hearing that. But there's no joy in Jesus until you work through the pain. There's a God up there, and he's righteous, and I am so far from being righteous. Died because of me. I'm the one that put him on that cross. But he went there because he loves me. <laughs> he loves me. And he conquered death, he rose from the dead, and he loves me. And when we take this journey from sorrow to joy, it becomes the most important thing in our life. Jesus becomes the most important person in our life. That's what faith is. Because he goes on, this joy will never be lost. So you, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will ever, ever, ever take your joy from you. Now he's already said it's gonna be hard because the world's gonna hate us. We're gonna talk about it more in the text today. Don't ever hear me saying that life in this world is not challenging and difficult. But here's what Jesus says: I'm not making this stuff up. The joy we get from him. (laughs) Will never be lost from going to that sorrow, to that joy. It is ours and it is ours for all eternity. Beyond that, he says it's going to be full. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be three quarters full, half full. We talk about being a joy-filled community of faith. Don't ever get lost. This is the foundation. Our as individuals having experienced this transition, transformation from being (laughs) grieving to joy in Jesus. Is life going to be easy? We're going to talk about that more. Never. I just want you to hear me say, based upon what Jesus has said in the experience of my last 40 years of walking with Christ, it's never going to be easy. I don't flippin' care. When we got Jesus, we got a joy that can't be taken, and our joy is full. Doesn't mean we don't grieve. Doesn't mean we don't sorrow. But the foundation is seeing Jesus. That's where it comes from. And Jesus gives us direct access to the heavenly father through who he is, through his death, and through his resurrection. In that day, after I die and rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, you will ask nothing of me. You've been asking stuff of me now, but I'm not gonna be here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, I'm dying. I'm going to rise from the dead. You're not going to ask me stuff anymore. You're going to have direct access to the Almighty God and to the Almighty Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Haven't died yet. Haven't risen. Haven't given you that access yet. Ask. Haven't given you that access yet. Forgive me. I was reading up there, they asked, do you guys ever have brain farts where you get a little confused? Anyway. (laughs) Asking you will receive that your joy may be full. Who are we asking there? Oh, somebody say it loudly. Who are we asking there? We got access to the Father. We get to talk to God. Now, we live in this celebrity-based culture that's just, getting worse so whoever you'd like to meet and get their autograph and you think it'd be cool here's what Jesus is saying through me you got access to almighty God oh yeah but what if we could meet one of the Kardashians how fun would that be I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And I don't think he's saying here typically figures of speech. I'm talking in a way I think he's saying generally that you don't understand. You're confused. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. This stuff's going to make more sense. But, but, but uh, we'll tell you, I, I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but we'll tell you plainly about that father. In that day, you will ask in my name, in his name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on on your behalf. You're not praying to me, and then I'm going talking to the Father. Because of who I am and what I've done, you're just going directly to God. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. God who ought to damn us. Yet he sent his son. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. You get who I am. You get that I am God. And have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father as he tries to prepare them for what's going on. So Jesus says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Whatever. How many of you love that promise? Whatever. How cool is that? One of the most abused, misused, and perverted texts in all of Scripture. I prayed for the new BMW, and I didn't get it. I pleaded for months for that BMW, silver, the plush, plush trim. I prayed and prayed forever, and I didn't get it. What does he mean by for whatever? How big is it? Yeah, remember he said, pray in Jesus' name. You heard that? How many of you at the end of your prayers say in Jesus' name? Cool. I end almost every prayer with that. Sometimes I don't say the words, but I mean it in my head and in my heart. Based upon who you are, Jesus. It's not as though, because I feel like sometimes we, we, Lord, give me the BMW in Jesus' name. Let me repeat that a couple of times and clear. Because the more I can say in Jesus' name, my odds go up. It's not what he's talking about. Understanding that you have access to the Father, so you go to him directly. Here's how you got it. You got it through me. This is the third time at dinner he said, Ask whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. Third time. It's rooted in this that the Father and the Son would be glorified. Here's the foundation of our prayer in asking whatever. Lord, we pray people would see you for who you are. You love us. You ought to damn us, but you love us, and you send Jesus into the world. Father, may people recognize you for who you are. Help us to recognize you more for who you are. Back in chapter 14, first time. Whatever you ask in my name, he's already said it there. This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What's the priority in our prayer life? That we would have a deeper faith, a deeper experience of Jesus, and that we would express that to others more fully. That's what he means by whatever. That's what's driving us. Now, we're living in a world, and again, I love you guys that were raised in the church, but this stuff feels sometimes the familiarity for those of us who've grown up in the church feels like to me sometimes it's harder for us to experience this awe-inspiring God. We like God. We like the gospel. But quite frankly, watching a guy dunk a basketball, drive around in a circle in a fast car is more interesting. What drives us is being overwhelmed with God. What keeps secondary things from becoming primary in our life is being overwhelmed with God. Whatever you ask, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and that the Father be glorified by our bearing fruit. What's the essence of our bearing fruit? From our experience of Jesus, expressing that to others. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, second time now at dinner, ask whatever you wish. What's it rooted in? That the Father be glorified in the Son. The people would go, how good is God? How glorious is the Father? How glorious and loving is Jesus? Notice the Holy Spirit is never looking to be the focus of attention. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us see the glory of the Father and the Son. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Lord, Lord, (laughs) move in my heart to help me see you more thoroughly, and then move in my heart so that through me, Other people see your glory. Do I pray that people will get healed? Yes. Do I pray that they get jobs? Yes. When I pray for you, please know this. I pray that whatever you're facing, most importantly, you all will more fully experience God's love in whatever he chooses to do. And then after that, how you fully, more fully experience Jesus' love would express it. No matter the nasty stuff you're dealing with. Do I pray for healing? Do I pray for jobs? Do I pray for all kinds of stuff I do? We'll see that God would be glorified and that we would express that. and That the Father is glorified by our, our joyful experience of his answering our prayers. For his glory. This is where we see it in the text today. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. After he's risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, third time, in my Father's name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, because I haven't died, I haven't risen from the dead, I haven't granted you that access yet. But then, after that, ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, where's our joy full? Not that we got the BMW. But in this journey of life where we're abiding in Jesus, we're getting a fuller experience of Jesus' love, and that makes us happy. And that empowers us, no matter what kind of circumstances we're facing, to express that to others. That's what we're asking for. And nothing makes us happier than God moving to give us a fuller experience of Jesus and express that more fully. It's all tied up in this God, and are going, oh, my, is he cool. Nothing has a significance of Jesus, whatever we ask in his name. And Jesus loves us and uses us despite our weaknesses. Now, this, we're getting to the very last Part of what he says to these guys before in '17, he prayers, prays. And I'm just going to tell you, this interaction is not, I think, what we would expect from Jesus. We're almost at the end, right? What I'd expect is, I love you guys. I know you don't get it very well, but you're trying so hard. I'm so proud of you. It's not where it ends. So his disciples said to him after all this, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we understand you. Now they're going to prove by their next statement they didn't. I love these guys. Mostly I love Jesus. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now when you look at that statement, aren't we going, amen, hallelujah, these knuckleheads finally figured it out. Look at this. They finally are going to be the disciples that Jesus wants them to be. Amen. Somebody needs to say amen, hallelujah here. Now we got you, Jesus. We figured it out. Now you're talking plainly. And for those of you who think I use too much sarcasm, don't miss Jesus here. Now we're at the end of this dinner where he shared a lot of stuff. Oh, we believe in you, Jesus. We got it. And Jesus answered him, do you now believe? Oh, you believe now, do you? You think you get it now. I've been telling you who I am. I've been preparing you for this day. You made this bold uh, uh, proclamation that now you get who I am. We got one more sentence after this that we're going to look at. Here's how Jesus answered. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. You say you get who I am? Let me tell you, in about 12 hours, Every one of you, not just Peter, is going to desert me. Yet I'm not alone. Though you desert me, the Father is with me. Now, here's what I love about the decent disciples. Inaccurate self-assessment of where they are in the faith journey. They're going to abandon Jesus in his toughest time. ha, ha, ha. Jesus, why do we love him? He is literally like no one else. Tells them they were going to abandon him. He assures them that the Father is going to be with me. I think this is mostly for later when they go back and remember how they responded after he rises from the dead. You guys abandoned me. But when they recall this, they go, okay, we abandoned him. We deserted him. We are chicken lily liver cowards. But he had the father. He encourages them. Who is there like Jesus? They're going to desert him. He tells them. And he encourages them. He loves them. I don't know if you've ever been deserted or abandoned by somebody or somebody's turned on you. This is not my natural response. And he trusts them. <sighs> They have an inaccurate self-assessment. They abandon him at his toughest time, but they're eventually going to figure out who Jesus is and what he does, and they're fearlessly going to take Jesus' love. These knuckleheads who abandoned him, we trust in your Belinda today because these guys actually did what Jesus trusted them to do. But look what he was working with. John doesn't want us to miss this. Look what Jesus was working with. But they figured out; they brought it. So two big ideas, as I look at this section one this section, is the first one is Jesus accomplishes salvation without any help from anyone. These guys followed him for three years. We get who you are. No, you don't, and you're gonna run. We did a series in Hebrew, Hebrews. This message is all through the scriptures. You remember our big idea is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Faith in Jesus alone. Not in me, not in the elders, not in the staff. And we hope you trust us. But this whole thing is predicated upon trusting Jesus and him alone. He went to the cross literally alone. Because those he's loved, he'd encouraged, to whom he entrusted this, bailed at crunch time. So he did it. And yet Jesus knowingly chooses broken, hurting, imperfect people to promote his glorious gospel. I would call those guys the disciples and I would call them the RCC community of faith. Some of us go on, Ooh, I did all this in my past. I don't care. More importantly, Jesus doesn't care. I've told you, if I'm God, I come up with a different plan than us. But we're here today because those dunderheads finally figured it out. Now, if you read through the book of Acts, they didn't get everything right. But they promoted Jesus because he was the most significant thing in their life. We're all going to have weaknesses. We're all going to have frailties. We are all going to make mistakes. I don't care. Quit beating yourself up. Quit feeling guilty about stuff that Jesus forgiven. Quit it. Stop it. Let's continue to abide in him so we keep growing. But he trusted this glorious gospel to us. To experience and express it. He's not surprised that we're not perfect. It does not, oh, Fred, look at Fred. I thought he was better than that. That's not an experience that Jesus ever has. Then lastly, this last idea. After he rebukes the disciples, Pretty directly at the end of this dinner, he finishes with this truth Jesus has overcome every obstacle, everyone, to our eternal happiness. You guys are going to desert me, but don't miss this. I win! And because of me, you guys win. If the church could get this, we'd be a happier, joy filled community of faith. And there'd be more people out there that would be drawn to Jesus. Always going to be a good share my conviction is the majority who are going to be repelled by our message, no matter how lovingly we give it. But we've won. The victory has already been accomplished. I've said these things to you that in me, don't miss this, Why abiding in Jesus is so important. That in me you may have peace. He didn't say joy there. Why didn't he say joy there? Because he said it 17 times already at dinner. And now he's going to use a word to contrast with the next phrase. Your joy may be full. We already got that. In me you have peace. Don't you ever be naive and foolish. Don't be stupid. In the world, you will have tribulation. How many of you guys have experienced some of that tribulation? Anybody? Are we surprised? Only if we've not been listening to Jesus. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. And here's the last sentence he's going to say before we get to the prayer. I have overcome the world. The world, those forces which are in opposition to him, however they may manifest, who is the king of those opposition forces? What do we call him? Satan. Now he's got a lot of people that are in bondage to him. They again are not the enemy. We're trying to save those people. We're fighting against Satan. There's a lot of people that are prisoners of this war that then end up feeling like they're fighting on his behalf. They're not the enemy. So, what does this mean? The war has been won. I've told you over and over and over again, the most significant holiday in the year is Jesus' crucifixion. That's when he went and he kicked Satan's fanny and the war was won. Done. Done. There's no doubt about who's going to win. You can go to Las Vegas and put odds on any ball game. They're not placing any bets on this one because it's already been determined. But the battle rages on. Part of his plan. We're not going to be naive, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be intimidated. That battle rages in all kinds of ways. Financial, physical challenges, relational challenges, cultural challenges. It rages in all kinds of ways. We're not going to be naive. We're not going to be surprised. And we're not going to get unrighteously angry. Why? Because the peace of Jesus is in us. The joy, our joy is full. Let me tell you, when we're dealing with people who are prisoners of war of Satan and the joy of Jesus and his peace fills us, we interact with them differently. When we're not responding from a place of joy and peace, our message is going to be less effective. Effective. We're going to stand for Jesus in every issue. But our heads and our hearts are full of joy and full of peace. Because we've won! And the world can't rob us of our peace and joy. If we're losing our peace and joy, we don't do, beat ourselves up, but we do want to do an analysis of where we are in faith and trust in Jesus. My emotions convey to me on a daily basis that I have room to grow in the peace and joy that comes from abiding in him. Do I ever once beat myself up? I stopped that 35 years ago. It was pointless. But it leads me to pray. Can anybody guess what I pray? Anybody want to guess? What is it, Mike? Lord, help me experience you a little more deeply than I am right now. I trust you, but I have just revealed through my emotions I can trust you more than I do. Beat myself up. He loves me. And he's choosing to use broken people. If you ever doubt that, look at the disciples and look at me. This is what he does. And we're more than conquerors. In Romans 8, from whom do you think Paul gets that theology about us being more than conquerors? Anybody want to ponder a guess? Who do you think he gets it from? Anybody want to throw out a name? Nobody? Cowards? Chickens? He gets it from Jesus. This guy is literally like nobody else. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to help others win through Christ. These people out there that are in bondage to Satan, they're fighting, they think they're right, they think they're not sinners, their judgment is lousy. We're going to help them. From a place of love, in peace. And some of them's lives are going to be transformed. How many? I don't know. I don't know. But man, we have the privilege of helping them see and experience what we've experienced. And one day everyone will acknowledge Jesus as the conqueror. It's coming. For those folks that think we're dopes, think we're weak, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We keep that in our heads, in our hearts. They may think we're losers, they may think we're stupid. One day, Jesus is going to set that all right. I'm 64. I have fewer days in front of me in this life than I've lived. Here's my conviction since I was about 23, 24. I'm going to live to have my joy as full as I can have it. it comes from experiencing his love and then expressing it. My wife can affirm, I don't always do that perfectly. That's how I've chosen to live, based upon who Jesus is. It's my encouragement to each of you. I don't know how many days you got left. I don't know how many years. I don't know how many decades. It's the way to the greatest joy. (laughs) There's no other path to the greatest joy than this. And it's the way we've chosen to live as a congregation, right here. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. Are we going to disagree on a bunch of stuff? Yes. But we're going to love one another as Jesus has loved us, as best we can. And when we mess up, we apologize, we confess, and we go on. Because the war has been won. We are the winners and we get to help other people be on this winning team. This is the way God designed life to be lived. This is the way God designed life to be enjoyed. So thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son into this world. Oh, Father, this world is hard. For even me, I've been here a few decades. It doesn't feel like it's getting any easier. Father, help us to find our joy, our peace in you, and then live as instruments of your grace, standing for your forgiveness, for your holiness. Oh, Father, for your love. Help us never to be intimidated by the world, Father, I pray that you would never allow us ever to be fearful of the world. With a non-anxious presence in peace and in joy, may we bring your love, your grace, your life to this world, Father. That is our prayer. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. We're going to you, Father. But we make it in the name of Jesus because he is the one that has granted us access to you.